Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. This week, we are doing our talk back for the Film Grain Virtual Cinema of Nomad. We all watched it over the past few weeks on Hulu, and tonight we are going to be talking and sharing our thoughts. We have a great group tonight here on Zoom. I'm Erica Berlin, the Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. Uh, I'm John Lyons, a filmmaker, teaching artist, and the Director of Programming for the Film Society. I'm Mike Berlin, the Production Nomad of the group. We're going to get a chance to hear thoughts from everyone. We're going to have some prompts, but we're going to start out to hear from the three of us just with our our first impressions of the film. So let's start with John. What were your first thoughts and feelings about Nomad? So Nomad Land. Um... Sorry, Nomad Land. Mike, <laughs> no Mike got me. Mike got me because he said Nomad. Mike, why did you, you do that? You got it in my head. You tripped, you tripped me up. Her up. That's what he does. Nomad land. Um, so Erica will recall that when we first started showing films in Erie, at film at the Erie Art Museum, we showed uh, this director, Chloe Zhao's first film, which was called uh, right. Songs My Brothers Taught Me back in, uh, it was either 2015, 2016. Nomad land definitely follows um her strengths of so she did songs my brothers taught me the writer i would definitely recommend both of those films um very much especially if you like nomad land but what she does is she loves the outsider in her other films pretty much all of her cast as well were non-actors real people that's that's what she likes to do um she likes to go out cover outsiders, uh, usually in Midwest areas, get slices of real life. Um, and I particularly really love her style. So this was um, a film that I very much enjoyed as well. You know, familiar setting with closed plants, um, abandoned towns, seasonal work at Amazon. Um, I know we'll we'll get into all the details, but uh, I thought it was it was a film that's like so embedded in American life now, um, life after the Great Recession, and it makes me kind of wonder if we're going to have some of these situations tenfold after uh, the pandemic and our current situation. But um, I thought the film was great. Curious what uh, Eric and Mike thought. Mike, what about you? A few things. Um, so being familiar with her work, uh, this particular film, I it's harkened a lot of Hal Ashby films for me, uh, whether that's something like The Last Detail, Five Easy Pieces. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like there, and right now I, I think it's, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. There feels like a, there's a very strong uh, current of like 1970s American films that are sort of coming back. And I can't help but feel, to your point, John, uh, as I was watching it, that there is some Italian neorealism that's sort of happening happening there because if you think about films whether it's Fellini films or something like Open City uh, after World War II uh, Italy's economy does tank and one of the trademarks of that style and brand of filmmaking is that they will use real locations real people actors are real people too but you know what I mean sort of untrained let's say untrained actors how about that and I feel like it's cinema is so interesting because it is 
incredible how things can be cyclical and trends can come back. And I feel like she is sort of actually at the forefront of a like of this crest of a of a style of filmmaking that's actually about to come back in a very very heavy way. That's my thoughts. Okay. Well, I can share with you my thoughts, which are really not as complicated as Mike's <laughs> cinema major Mike. My initial thought while watching it, I watched it very early on a Sunday morning, uh, very calm. I was very calm watching the movie all throughout. And it really was the cinematography that got me, despite the fact that the movie was very poignant. You know, I found myself tearing up many times, you know, throughout the movie. I, I, I'm sure many of you did too. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of the thoughts and weight of the day on me yet. I was very clear headed. And that's the time I like to watch movies. I don't know if any of you are the same way, but it's a really nice time to watch films. It's kind of like the feeling of, you know, I think Janet, you do this a lot where you get up and you take beautiful photos in the morning or at nighttime, you know, when you take sunset photos, you know, that's when you're very clear headed is when you first wake up. So it's a good time to watch movie. And I got up and watched this movie first, you know, first thing in the morning, the cinematography just totally got me and the, the simplicity of it all just really had me starting the day with a, with very clear emotions. And so I just really felt firm, like from the get-go, from the moment she, you know, started her day at Amazon, you know, like you just walked into her life. Um, and she was just, she was just like, I don't want to say she was flat, but like, she was kind of just like on an even keel throughout the whole movie barely had to talk throughout the whole movie, but you knew every thought that was running through her head. And she, you know, she, she didn't, she hardly had to make a facial expression, but you just seemed to know what was going on from moment to moment. But the scenery spoke so much. Everywhere she went, it was this beautiful landscape. And the scene that really stuck out to me and probably I'm sure maybe this will jog everyone's memory too. I can't remember exactly where it is. It, maybe it's when she's in Quartzsite in um, Arizona when they're all there for the big gathering is when she's walking through the camp and the sun is setting and it's just on the crest of that mountain. And I'm sure that Chloe, she had this magical moment of filming that scene because she's walking through the camp and there's, here's the guys with the fire and here's the people standing around doing, um, they were doing like Tai Chi or they're doing some kind of exercise. And then here's people doing this. And then here's a, a caravan of cars coming in or vans coming in and their headlights are kind of coming in like this towards her. And the sun is just going over the crest of the mountain. And it was just a gorgeous scene, but it was one shot going down. And it was just scenes like that one after the other. But you, again, you were just in her mind the whole time, but you didn't need to see her expression change. But it was the simplicity of all of that. And starting the day when my mind was so clear, I don't know, it was the best moment. I know that, I know that talking to Mike about the movie he and I often have very different opinions. By the way, Mike and I are married to each other. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some people that are in this chat don't know this, um, but but we often have very different opinions. And um, I think one of the reasons I love this movie so much is just that 
I had a very, very clean experience with it. And sometimes Mike squeezes watching movies in between many other media experiences. <laughs> but I think those two things, I just had a very clean experience with the movie. I thought Frances McDormand was incredible. I really felt her without her having to do a whole lot. And the cinematography was beautiful. I think that was a I'm sorry, I went on for a long time about that, but I'm curious to see what everyone else's, you know, if you connected with any of those things, any of those three things. Real quick, I want to sort of, I, and I'm going to disagree anyone with you else? publicly here for a second, Erica. Uh, sorry, I, I think it's actually, and I know it's not necessarily what you mean. I think it's a bit of a misnomenclature to call the emotions of the film simple, because I misnomer. think what you're seeing, particularly. <laughs> A misnomer, excuse me, a misnomer to call the uh, the emotions of the film simple on some level, because I think there's a lot of different uh, uh, sort of machinations of grief that are actually coming through all throughout the film, all, all through different people. And uh, well, that's, a, that's an emotion. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think it's a simple one. I think it's actually really layered and really- uh, Deceptively simple. How about that? De maybe. Okay. Yeah. Maybe deceptively simple, but I thought, I think there's actually a ton of texture and um, it's, it, I, and I think this is more uh, 2020 because when I first watched the film, I, I had sort of the same impulse and now having had a few days to sort of, sort of ruminate over it and think about it, it's just like, it's like, that's not, that's not so that it's it's way more complex on emotionally on so many levels and i think i have a greater appreciation now having been able to actually think about the movie for a little bit all right who would like to share their thoughts with us just raise your hand we'll make sure you're unmuted if you're not i saw carol first there's plenty of time for everyone okay well um i just kind of wanted to uh agree with mike somewhat that um you know, I think the the emotions, especially with her, were very complex. Even though she didn't speak a lot, I felt that uh, she was still very much grieving for her now deceased husband. But also, at the same time, I don't know, maybe it's because she hadn't completely worked through it, because I don't remember exactly how long she had been a widow. But I felt that she, like, really feared intimacy too because there were a lot of people who would have well the one guy in particular who invited her over and uh toward the end of the movie and you know asked her to stay which might have been a little bit too premature for something like that but on the other hand i mean she she always seemed like she was kind of like running away from anything that was getting a little bit too close for comfort for her. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, she just seemed very fearful of intimacy, even simple things, you know, people who are just trying to be friendly. I don't know. She seemed really closed off. Don't you think on some level to sort of piggyback off of that too, that it's it, it's almost an, an exact like opposite reaction to the life she had known from the roots that had been established from her job, the town, her husband. H oh, here right. you have here you have this life that she that they've sort of in the script have vocalized and it's everything that you build up to and that stability. Mm -hmm. And when that st mm -hmm. stability that you've worked so hard to attain is stripped from you, it feels like there you would almost that I think she, her character, Fern, is having the adverse reaction. It's like, what's the point of having, of building that life mm -hmm. if the world around you is going to take a wrecking ball to it, e even if it's nothing to do, that, that is your fault. That's very true. 
I also think um, that she almost relished being down to the most basic, simple existence she could possibly have and really didn't want to, didn't really want to have anything more, at least at the time. You know, I think a lot of people in that in that situation did. That's that's that was the point of the existence of all of a lot of those people's lives. They had they, uh, some had they some wanted. had actually, uh, I think, willingly and purposefully given up that life for the nomad lifestyle. And many of them seemed very happy. Right. She, did, she didn't seem particularly happy. <laughs> well, yeah, remember, we're, we're kind of entering this world through her. So this is not kind of to both of your points. Um, you know, she's in a marriage for 40, 40 some years. And then, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big risk and it's a giant change to go out and live in a van, right? So, right. <laughs> but, but it's not, a, it's, a, it's important to establish the difference between her and the community. It's not necessarily a life that she selected. I, I, I think that's, I think that's gotta be a really, she embraces it because I think ultimately she's a survivor, the character of Fern. I don't think she initially signed up for it. The director has Janet said- has a comment. Yeah. Sorry, John. No worries, we'll go with Janet. Okay, hey, I'm on. I felt like I was, continually waiting for something to happen. And it, it's probably because like I watch Lifetime movies. So I was like waiting for her <laughs> to kill somebody or fall in love or have an affair or get happy. I think I was waiting for her to get happy and or to find a home. And then when she was offered that home with that gentleman that had the guest house or whatever, I was rooting for her to like, yeah, go with him. You'll find everything you're looking for. And then she leaves. And I came to a realization that what was happening was I was getting a greater understanding of the need for people not to have the typical home and the typical relationship. And I think, Carol, what you were saying, I agree with you. I think in, in maybe instead of fear of intimacy, because of the death of her husband and, and losing her job and everything, she probably had for fear of loss and, and she didn't want to lose anything else. So... Um, I, at the end of the film, I thought, well, I think what happened was it changed me. It gave me a whole new perspective of, of people like Fern. And then Anthony told me I kind of looked like her. So then I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anthony. <laughs> we'll go with uh, Margie. Uh, this may take it in a different direction, but a lot of the vibe I was getting Terminator 2, Linda Hamilton character in this post-apocalyptic world, huh? you know, that, that she was really, I mean, it was just the way the survivors of the apocalypse, whatever that was supposed to be, they were all just banding together out of survival and necessity and no real like strong emotional bonds or anything. It's just all about survival. I think that's a great point because, um, a lot of these people had lost things. That was an important point of the film that they had lost spouses, they had lost jobs, they had lost um, their pensions, their 401ks, you know, the, a lot of these people had lost things and they were surviving. This was their only way of um, keeping, keeping um, their lives together is moving into a a van moving into a truck and living out their days banding together for that survival for a community where that lifestyle was accepted and survivable yeah, yeah. I, I got a very um i got a very like into the wild 
kind of feel watching this movie. Very like, you know, as I'm watching it, I'm, th I'm thinking more of an extrovert because I was projecting the fact that I'm an extrovert and what I want her to do and I want her to, you know, hook up with this guy and move into the house and that's going to make her happy and that's going to make me happy. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I want to. So when I'm watching this movie and you can see her, anytime someone comes close to her, she backs away. Extroverts look at that and go like, what are you doing? Or something's wrong or, ah, look, she's off or broken a little bit. That's not entirely true. You know, that's me projecting my emotions onto her. So when I see her, she followed suit every time. It's not like she would do it one time and then not the other. No, every time someone came close, she's like, oh, I'm pretty good. Now, was that because she suffered such a loss with her husband? Is it because she, you know, um, is just wired that way? I don't know. But that whole, like, I like to be on my own because I'm watching it and she's sitting there like eating meals by herself, like in diners. And I'm thinking like, oh, that'd be horrible. You know what I mean? And she's not horrible. She's not hating her life. You know what I mean? She's choosing that. She has options to get out of there. Her sister, you know, this guy, all these things, and she's choosing it. So looking at that and trying to watch it as openly as I can and not trying to put myself in this position and actually watching what she's feeling and why she's feeling and trying to really like understand her. That's where I kind of went with the movie. I kind of went that direction instead of, you know, I tried to step out of it because as soon as I feel myself like wanting to, I'm like, oh, wait, this isn't me. You know, this isn't what's going to make me happy. This is about what Fern wants to do, what Fern makes Fern happy, you know? So, like I said, very into the wild for me, very, um, you know, she's just doing her thing. And it's so interesting because it's so different, you know, like I would imagine just by, you know, most people would say, oh, I'm an extrovert, you know, I'm especially we're sitting here, you know, all talking about a film together. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're all probably extroverts. And so watching someone who's an introvert, you know, it's completely foreign. I like the movie. I thought it was very interesting. I really, um, I thought it was good. Forest. A lot of people are comparing it to other films. Uh, the Terminator 2 one really got me. I, I never would have made that comparison. Um, but the one that I really thought of while I was watching it was uh, Agnes Varda's 1985 film Vagabond. Like Vagabond, uh, that fil this film is just very much about people that are sort of let down by the system, I guess you could say. You know, I mean, we mentioned before that uh, she came into this sort of nomad life because the town that she's from literally ceased to exist. Uh, the company decided, oh, that's not a town anymore. And you see other people who have sort of chosen this life because all the other options really suck. I, I mean, you know, people who uh, don't want to have to work until they're, you know, on their deathbed or anything. Uh, so it's almost like a, um, a sort of like new form of rebellion against the system that was given to them, I guess you could say. But what I like about it is that the film never tries to spend a lot of time psychoanalyzing them or uh, putting their story into some sort of like narrative about, you know, how we come to this or worse, that kind of put players up over your player bootstrap kind of thing. It's just, here they are, this is their life, and this is what they have. And uh, Frances McDormand's character, Fern, is sort of the perfect guide to that. Chloe Zhou, her other film, she uses a lot of, you know, non-professional actors, um, but having a great actress like uh, Frances McDormand just sort of like be the anchor in that, in this world, it sort of brings us into that world too, you know? And I, I almost saw the, the nomads as sort of like the last form of rebellion, I guess you could say, against uh, uh, kind of the world that is given to you, you know? 
Um, I found it very fascinating in that regard. And yes, um, I, I agree with some people, some people said here that uh, McDormand, uh, she says so much, it was just like uh, the twitch of an eye or a half-hearted smile or a nod of a head, you know, she doesn't need to say a lot of things. And um, as somebody who is a, a little bit introverted myself, I kind of, uh, I was on her side with the whole eating alone thing and everything, you know, but um, yeah, I, I saw that the film was really a great sort of, just sort of uh, rebellion against the system, even though it doesn't try to be that. These people are just, making the most of what they have but uh that sort of becomes a statement in and of itself you know yeah i think that you know there's messages there for sure but yeah that it's not hitting you over the head with it is yeah. definitely is a is a good choice from the filmmaker if you want to stay on for a second forest i was i have to admit you know i love francis mcdormand but because i'm so used to the filmmaker's style Mm-hmm. I was a little nervous at the beginning of the film because I wasn't quite convinced by her performance and it made me a really? little yeah because it's like um you know you see all these unknown actors and then it's like right. Frances McDormand in the center but I think that that it worked for me over time because then she does feel like that outsider among outsiders right. then it kind of worked for me in a in a strange way the other thing i was going to say okay. just some trivia she had seen chloe's film the rider at a film festival and actually approached chloe with doing this film and okay. francis wasn't originally going to uh, even act in the film the woman who played linda may uh, or Linda, who is Linda May, she was going to be the main protagonist. Um, but over time, they decided to throw Frances in there because she wasn't doing enough with producing the film and other things as well. So, but just a little I bit of trivia for everybody. Yeah, I never would have guessed because I thought she nailed it. I thought that she was perfect for that role. I never would have guessed that uh, she was sort of a second choice or, or sort of thing. You know, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a good choice because, yeah, like I said, um, I do like Chloe Zhao using uh, non-professional actors, but man, having <laughs> having a professional just in the center of that really brought it home for me, you know, because I, I like the writer, but some of the acting got to me a little bit. <laughs> it wasn't as the, the most uh, convincing, I guess you could say. And I chalked that up to just the, the cast being mainly non-professional, you know, so... Um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Francis McDormand really worked for me in this film. I, I thought I think it might be my favorite of her performances ever, which is saying a oh, lot. Wow. Well, I'll be the I'll, the small outlier so far. I wasn't a hundred percent Francis. Who else would like to uh, share their thoughts? Yeah, the cinematography was was was. It took a while, I think, for the pacing to sink in. I mean, the camera was always chasing her. It was almost like always. It felt like twenty to twenty five feet behind her when. She was kind of confronted by intimacy. I felt awkward getting close to her, like it almost like feeling her awkwardness. So I, I, I think I, more than a lot of films, I noticed the cinematography like right at the beginning. And so it took me a while to kind of settle into the narrative parts of it. And I think even the narrative structure being very kind of like quick vignettes of her experience contributes that, right? But uh, once I settled in, I thought like the most, interesting parts were when she was confronted by someone who was either dying or confronted by someone who had a family. Um, even, even the boy uh, who she'd lent the lighter to, you know, sharing a beer and just asked, you know, what would your mom think, you know, of you, of you, of you being here, which is interesting, right? Because she's clearly someone who is dealing with grief and, and dealing with intimacy, but she still has those kind of concerns. Um, 
and you know struggling with their own i mean the other thing is you know i i just lost my father like a month ago so to see kind of the different i i don't know it was a very interesting way for myself to grieve to kind of go through um um this film and have it be very you know it wasn't uh beyond the kind of one of the final scenes of the gentleman who kind of ran the meetings in uh, Arizona who kind of gave her I don't want to say permission but kind of framed grief I think in a way that she really appreciated and accepted there wasn't a whole lot of guidance on how to deal with grief it was just a lot of people trying to figure it out and um so that was anyways all those things were kind of my my main takeaways and it was just a very nice experience sorry for your loss Jude um and thanks thanks for sharing Jinsa you're up next, and you have to let us know if anyone is pronouncing Chloe's na last name correctly. Um, actually, it's my mother's family name to call Zhao. Because I actually I grew up uh, in the same country with uh, Chloe, and then so before I watched the movie, I was just I actually never heard about this term. I had to Google the Chinese what's the meaning in Chinese, and then to realize, oh, okay, uh, we do have this kind of lifestyle maybe two or three thousand years ago. And then I, it's made me just thinking uh, why she decided to talk about this story. And then, then because I'm an economist as well, so I pay attention on people's choice. And as I'm watching more uh, uh, the whole movie, I realized, uh, I don't know how Chloe thought, but I, at least for me, I feel I very envy the main characters. She has the freedom to make a choice that not has to be fitting the society because because the actor, she didn't really talk a lot. So give you a space to make your own decision before she take a, uh, had to make decision. Uh, and like I said, I'm economist. I was thinking when she make those choices, was she try to maximize her happiness? But most of the time, the decision she made is not a decision I want to choose. So for instance, I want to live with my, if I had a sister, I want to live with her, to live in a nice house. Or if I, the guy invited her to live with a big family, I will choose that, but she didn't. And then it made me to think about why she made those choices, where she really looking for. And then, then go back to where I came from. Like in, when I grew up in China, it's almost like everything is already set. You're gonna follow the trend. You almost have, if there is choice there, but you, you know your choice is limited. But then after you watch this movie, you just feel, oh my goodness. So she, all the decisions she made, he tried to make sure she had that freedom to make more choices. So that's why she gave up the opportunity to live with her sister, gave up the opportunity to live with that, uh, the, 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 the old guy. <laughs> and so she just tried to preserve the right that she can make a choice. So that's why at the end, I think at the end of the movie, she drives the van, can enjoy the beautiful view. Basically, if she made the choice to live with her sister, she will not never have the opportunity to really appreciate that beautiful views. So that's make me very envy about it. Uh, especially if you think about the more successful you are, the more burden you have, the less choice you will have. So she made the choice to give up everything because she wants to preserve the right to make future choices. So that's how I take that movie. And uh, uh, I don't know how my family in China, if they get opportunity to watch this movie, how they think about it. And then also my friends, because we definitely grew up in, in a totally different culture. So even listen to the name of the movie, everybody's going to feel, wow, what, what's wrong with this person? I think that's a great read on the, on the overall story of the character. There's a saying. 
saying, and I, I maybe I'm paraphrasing, but sometimes you can be most lonely in a crowded room. And I think that about Fern, that the reason that she ate alone is maybe that is the most she could do at that moment because of her grief, because of her loss, because of her psyche, whatever. Um, and and I, I really enjoyed that part of her. And I don't know who else besides Frances McDormand could play this role because she bared her soul. She bared her, her face, her, her body. She didn't care if she was pretty. She just let it all out on the screen. And I think that her loneliness was pervasive throughout the whole film. And I think that there was a real synergy between she and Chloe and the cinematographer in feeling that, in feeling that loss and loneliness. And the fact that she leaves that plush bed to curl up in her van when she's visiting David Strahan just spoke volumes to me about it was all too much for her. It was just too much for her to take. And, and, I, and I love that part. I, I thought it was a, a brilliant work between the three, the director, cinematographer, and the actress. And I really liked the nomads. I didn't know this world. I didn't know that these people existed. And I was really shocked at how many uh, women of a certain age were doing this alone. It, I felt, I don't think I would be that brave. I, I don't believe that I would. And that was very surprising to me, you know, what journeys they were all on, either with someone else or, or in solitude. It really, it really woke me to how people travel, maybe to run away or run to something. Mm -hmm. Chloe uh, Zhao said that uh, she believes now there's two types of people, those that are like nomads or nomads at heart and those that aren't. So to kind of comment to that, Erica? Well, I have two thoughts, one my own and one that came in the chat when you said that. One is, the first one is my own. I was texting with a friend yesterday and we were talking about Mad Men and we, were, we ended up talking about Joni, the character Joni on Mad Men. And he told me that he named his jukebox Joni. This is Jason Thompson, mom. And I said, you know, I've never named like a thing. I've never given a name to a thing. And of course, a lot of the nomads name their cars things. And she names her car Vanguard. And he said to me, well, why not? And I said, I don't know. I guess I've never been attached to a thing so much that I've personified it or given it a name. I just never like felt that way before. Um, but obviously these the nomads feel like their their car, you know, their vans or the things that they move with are their attachment. That is, their, that is their attachment. They take such good care of these vehicles. Her van is worth $5,000, but it needs $2,300 worth of work. And he's like, look, you're better off getting something new. She's like, no, I'm not getting anything new. I'm gonna fix this and I'm keeping this van. Like, there's no way I'm getting something new. And I'm sure some people make that decision. And yet, and, you know, she has that little cabinet with her dish set and they don't even spend any time with her. And Jude, you brought up the little vignettes and there's that vignette of her pal, David Strathairn's character. And I can't remember his name now, but he's 
helping her move that box and what falls out of the bottom. It's that China set or the few plates that her father gave her, the things that she might be attached to and he breaks them. And then that scene's over, just that little vignette. And there's no emotional story around that whatsoever. So these attachments that they, she might have, or they have their little swap meets in the middle where they hand things to each other. What do you need? What do you need? They give things, you know, no attachments to, you know, you might have a favorite carrot peeler in your drawer and you're never going to give it away because I, this is my carrot peeler. I can't give that away. That's my favorite thing. Whereas, you know, the things that you might swap at your swap meet or something might break, you know, I can't have an attachment to that because I don't have enough room in my van for it. So it's interesting about the attachments that they have or, or don't have. And yet their, their vans are like, this is my home. It has a name. That's my attachment. That's my person. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it feels like it, it's a definitely a form of rebellion to these systems and structures and like constructs, right. That we all live in and are confined by. Um, it reminded me of like, if anyone knows about the concept of like mutual aid networks that you don't need or that the government or those structures are failing you. And so the community themselves, um, you know, is, is there for one another. I think we, not to get political, but we just need to look at like the pandemic response to uh, see how much the, the government's there for us. John and Kelly, you want to jump in? I was so moved by this film. And one thing that really struck me, I kept waiting. I was on edge for most of the movie thinking something terrible. She's going to get... Somebody's going to try to break into her van or she's going to come to a terrible accident or something truly tragic. It's like, what's good? And, and then after a while, probably took till almost the end of the movie when I realized, no, actually it's, I, I can relax. Um, but I, but I, I feel, and maybe it's my projection, but I feel like that that is what it's like to live alone in a van is that you're, there is this constant specter of disaster kind of following you around, especially if you're a 60 year old or older woman alone um, with very little that to protect you. Um, I also just loved how it wasn't that narrative, that classic kind of narrative arc. Another thing that I really loved is that, I mean, the intimacy of the nomads with each other, that um, it it is just loss and bonding on so many different levels from the sharing of the, oh, I don't need this tray anymore. And maybe somebody else can use it to, um, to everybody, pretty much everybody being there because they'd lost something. They'd lost their other way of life. Um, and, but yet it was tragic and empowering and, it sort of felt like it was the the self-help group means the assisted living community, you know, um, like they were assisting each other and they understood each other. And there was, I found, even though Fern was very, you know, she was not throwing herself into people's lives. She still, there was a great deal of intimacy with her as she nursed them or they nursed her or I also just love that they like teach each other how to deal with their shit. I mean, like that was true on many, many, many levels. So 
<laughs> on all levels, perhaps. So well, my two cents. Kelly, if I can jump in real quick, and I loved what you said there. I, I think on some level, uh, two thoughts to sort of piggyback off of your thing. It's not tragedy because the tragedy's already happened in her life. I, I, on like a very, very destructive level, not anything that she did, but from uh, sort of the social constructs have just sort of crumbled around her. So what what's so interesting about this film, whether it's something like that would be from a narrative plot standpoint, like something from like Thornton and Wilder, or like Our Town or something like that, it, it is following a different uh, trajectory of telling a narrative. Uh, but like it's, but it, what's, it's like it's coming out of all the tragedy that has already happened. It's it's a, it's a really unique film in that way. Well, and it in a sense there is there it, yes there's it's tragic uh, perhaps that's a better way to describe it and yeah. it's about and that grief um, and the grief and how grief bonds people yeah. and um, and also how it sends us to our own little vans. When you say that, there's a metaphor there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When you say that, when you were talking about about like waiting for something to happen to her, like like everyone, I mean, I felt that exact same way. Like she's gonna get raped or attacked or something the whole time. And you're right. And so was uh, the other gentleman. Sorry, I was gonna say exactly what he said. And the fact that this is the aftermath. The badness has already happened to all these people. You know, the the like ringleader of the nomads who was like holding those things. You know his son committed suicide and she lost her husband and her town. And this is like, like he said, this is the aftermath of the bad. And we're so used to watching movies and waiting for that climax of bad. So we can see the aftermath. This is, you know, long after, which I thought was, you know, an interesting, like, it's interesting that this is all those people the bad already happened to him. That's what got him into a van down by the river. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what, you know, we're seeing how they all react to it. And it was interesting, like I said before, to see the different personalities of people who are introverts and how they handled it and how Fern handled it and how, you know, the one lady's like, I just got to get back in my kayak. Like, I want to get back. I'm going to die. And I need to get back to where I was the happiest after my, what got me to where I am today. Very yeah. There's a, a bit of trivia. I, I read a, a review where they interviewed Frankie and she was saying, no, I played myself. The only part that was me acting was one, that 1% where I let her take care of me, where I let Fern take care of me. That was, and that was me acting for sure. I like the Bob Wells character, Bob Wells, right? The leader of the nomads, that was his name. Mm -hmm. I liked what he stood for he wasn't a Jim Jones kind of guy you know what I mean he didn't want people to drink Kool-Aid he was more of like a uh, a shaman uh, guiding them and I, and I loved on the, in the Golden Globe she gave a quote from Bob Wells when she won best director and it just exemplified this the the kindness of this group uh, being led by him and that was very touching to me that you know he wasn't trying to get anybody to drink the Kool-Aid he just wanted them to try to find their way in life. And I thought that was a really important message as well. Yeah, for sure, because we've seen it in movies a million times, right? Like that could have went uh, like to Kelly's point and to your point, Jackie, and we're kind of fearful of this situation, like instinctively, because 
you know, you don't have those typical systems of support. So everything feels like it could be a threat, which I think worked really well for, for the, the Fern character and entering this world. I thought it added a certain integrity to homelessness. You know, when, whenever you hear about people being homeless and you're thinking, oh, there's a shelter right over there. Or you could go live with your sister or you could do, you know, all those alternatives that seem like it's, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to go with the simplest route, but what you sacrifice when you do, you know, go into a shelter or, or you know, kind of turn yourself over to somebody else's domain, you know, and you can see how people just dig in in spite of uh, logic to say, this is, you know, this is the way I want to do this. Uh, I was going to say, um, well, I didn't think about this till this discussion, but one of those things that was like making me a little anxious was when the um, Dave got sick. I was like, oh no, he's going to make Fern take care of him. I was like, no, but um, <laughs> there are a lot of like parts where you're like anxious about things. But what I was just going to say is that I really did love those nomads and uh, an extent that I was like, um, they really became like almost a best part of the story for me like and I know that speaks to uh McDormand's uh performance just raising these characters but Frankie and um the character at the beginning that talks about her uh social security that she has like pitiful amount and she's like I worked my whole life I just thought that was like a great launch point for the movie and really kind of stuck with me through the whole thing Linda May Linda May thank you amazing movie I think and Francis McDormand's just <laughs> incredible. I, I really can't think of a of anything quite comparable where a mainstream actress like that works with a group of of amateur and and just that real people in such an effective way. It's a, it's it blew me away. And I didn't see it as a negative thing or anything. I thought it was a very positive kind of film. You know, I mean, I thought about it in terms of this culture, which I, I thought, well, I'm not specifically aware of this, but, you know, I know lots of people do this. It's, you know, they got to be somewhere. So <laughs> here they are. Uh, and a, a fascinating picture of them. And you think about, you know, Rom culture, gypsies, whatever. There's some of that. There's bits and pieces of, of, of that that kind of come with the territory of being a nomad. And you think, but more, you know, this is more like there's a there's a dust bowl aspect to it, you know, too, uh, where you had kind of those encamp encampments where people had no other options. Hobos. The, and the hobo encampments, yeah. The way that there's an elegance to the way these people have, you know, found a life, uh, found a life that works for them. And and somebody else mentioned about uh, introvert introversion, you know. Um, so us introverts. Uh, could it may be easier for us to understand McDormand's character here because it, it is understandable. It's like, <laughs> I certainly, I don't know that I'd leave that soft bed to go out and lay in, the, in, the, in, in her, uh, her, her camper, but uh, there's a lot that's easy to understand about her reaction to dealing with other people. And uh, I, I found that fascinating. The whole idea, the only other recognizable actor here, the only other major actor is David Strathairn, right? And that prompted me to, as I periodically do, look up Mate One and see if Mate One has come back into circulation. And it is. 
somebody posted it to YouTube a couple months ago. Uh, it's a it's a not a perfect uh, thing. I mean, it's very it's quite acceptable, but there's there's flaws in it. From and I think that's why it hasn't been in circulation. It's probably not a good print of it available. Uh, but if you haven't seen Mate One, especially all you lefties, you need to you need to take it in. Appreciate that. <laughs> Don't know what that is, but now I have to find out. Okay. I thought uh, we should probably wrap it up pretty soon, but I thought um, the comment about, uh, you know, rocks with holes in them were interesting. And there were some shots uh, on the landscape of like cactuses and like dying trees and things. And I, I thought that that was an interesting um, visual parallel with, you know, these, this aging population kind of going uh, back out into nature for the final chapter of, of their lives. I thought that was that was interesting, kind of like fleeing the um, you know the urban landscape and getting back out into nature. Anyone with last comments, and then we'll we'll let you know what our next uh, event is going to be. My last comment is: I loved everything about it except the bucket. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Erica was hoping that was going to come up. I'm too much of a girly girl. I just know it about myself. And I thought, all right, I can maybe do some of this, but I'm not doing the bucket. And I loved the education about what bucket to use was that just made me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Just as a, just as a footnote, I watched this incredibly amazing documentary. It was just released. It was, it was at a documentary film festival and I don't even know where it, it takes place. But it's the opposite story. It's about a Rom family, a Roma family in somewhere in Eastern Europe who are living in this nature preserve right outside of this big city. And it's about them moving from being nomads, living in nature, this whole big family into the city. And it's the same, it's a very similar issues around loss and family and, and kind of what they have to give up um but i highly highly and i can't, of course i can't remember what the it was a, it was a doc nyc this, yeah. this past fall appreciate that yeah yeah <laughs> anyone else some jinsa yes um i just um after i watched the movie and i found my teaching material when people are treating the goods i teach economics that uh bothering economy and I, I have a hard time to find an example. Then I watched the movie. I said, oh, great. I'm going to find that clip somewhere and so share with my students. We appreciate there that. Go. There you go. All right. Well, then I guess, um, so thank you, everyone, for joining us. So our next uh, event is going to be Wednesday, March 17th. So you've got two weeks again. And what we're doing is um, director Steve McQueen who did uh, 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Hunger, a lot of fantastic, very powerful films. Uh, he came out with an anthology of five films on Amazon Prime. Now, we're good. we would love for you to watch all five because they're all great, but we're going to discuss um, film one, which is called Mangrove, and film two, which is called Lover's Rock. They're both on Amazon Prime. Uh, those two films together it comes out to about three hours. The first one is two hours. The second one is one hour. These are films based on the real life experiences of London's West Indian community, 
between 1969 and 1982. Mangrove tells the story of the Mangrove Nine who clashed with London police in 1970 and the trial that followed. Uh, it's this tight-knit community that is constantly bullied and beaten um, by the London police force and their trial. And then in Lover's Rock, it's kind of like the, I, I think it'll be a nice like palate cleanser for all of you after Mangrove. It's a single evening house party in the 80s. Um, it's got great music, great dancing. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good time. So Again, it's called, if you search for it on Amazon Prime, it's listed under Small Axe. Um, that's the name of the anthology. And we're doing the first film, Mangrove, and the second film, Lover's Rock. For this one, we're actually going to have a Zoom registration link that you can register for. So if you go to our website now, which is filmsocietynwpa.org, you can go there and register and you'll get the Zoom link. Um, so you won't have to wait until Wednesday the 17th for the Zoom link, but we'll do it at six o'clock again. And yeah, I'm excited. Mike, Erica, do you guys want to say anything else to wrap up? Uh, just to piggyback off of uh, that, by the way, if you want to watch some of the other ones, Red, White, and Blue, John Boyega just won the Golden Globe uh, for his uh, for his role in it. And so uh, I, you're in for some great filmmaking. Yes, this was a great time. Thank you, everyone, for coming. And I wouldn't be a good executive director without saying... If you enjoyed it, please consider making a donation to the Film Society. You can do it on our website. You can probably find a donation link on Facebook as well. Uh, we always put the donation link in our emails. Um, we really appreciate it. So thanks a lot. And this is going to be, um, this is a podcast. So you can listen to yourself. It'll probably be in an upcoming email and we'll put it on, we'll announce it on the, on Facebook as well, but it's film grain is the name of our podcast. Um, subscribe to that. Please subscribe to our podcast as well. So um, that's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. For those who are listening to the podcast, see you next time.